0: Welcome to day 110 of The Story That Changes Everything. By the way, we're 30% of the way through our reading of Scripture. Congratulations! Our readings for today are 2 Kings chapters 9-11. through Here are some thoughts to guide your reading for today. Chapters 9 and 10 narrate one of the last actions by Elisha and the end of the house of Ahab through the violent actions of Jehu. The buildup of evil in both Israel, Ephraim, and Judah is going to lead to a double assassination. Elisha has one of the younger prophets anoint Jehu in private and gives to him instructions to enact judgment on the house of Ahab and on Jezebel for her actions against God's prophets. When the word starts to get out that Jehu had been anointed king, it appears in the text that the various officers and leaders Jehu encounters along the way have also had enough of the house of Ahab and so they keep joining Jehu's revolution. Jehu takes a chariot to meet Joram at Jezreel, where he's recovering from wounds suffered in battle. King Azahiah of Judah, who's related to Ahab also because his mother was Ahab's sister, is with Joram as well. Filled with retributive irony, Jehu kills Joram in the very vineyard that his mother Jezebel took from Naboth. Jehu kills King Ahaziah of Judah as well and sends his body back to Jerusalem. Knowing the end is near, Jezebel puts makeup on, likely to prepare herself for burial. Notice that she calls Jehu by the name Zimri. Zimri was the violent revolutionary who became king of Israel or Ephraim, but lasted only one week until the revolution rebounded against him. More servants join Jehu's revolution and they throw Jezebel out a window. She dies, and her body meets an unceremonious end, to say the least. Chapter 10 is one of the most violent in the Bible. Joram executes a systematic purge of the house of Ahab by first having the remaining 70 sons of Ahab killed. He then kills the brothers of Ahaziah of Judah. The purge ends with the slaughter of all the priests and worshippers of the Baals. Perhaps as troubling as the murders themselves is the way the historic narrator affirms the killings as a prophetic act of divine judgment. I suppose one way of viewing this text is seeing it the way that we might today view the end of World War II and the violent reign of the Nazis rebounding against them. I think of the end of a film like Schindler's List, when the Allied soldiers break through the walls of the concentration camp and not only free those who've been oppressed, but also begin to kill those who've been doing the oppression. This text is violent, but it has that sense of the tables of violence being turned back against the powerful families that have ruled through forms of oppression and violence themselves. The Bible is not uniform in praising Jehu's actions, however. When the prophet Hosea has a child with Gomer, God has him name the child Jezreel because, quote, "in a little while, while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will destroy the kingdom of the house of Israel, and on that day I will break the bow of Israel." Unquote. So it appears that the later prophetic perspective like Hosea's is that although Jehu purged Israel and to some extent Judah of an evil group of leaders, It also filled the land with a violence that created more and more cycles of retribution and violence among the people. In the end, Jehu has a lengthy reign, 28 years, and his house replaces the evil house of Omri and Ahab. But still, he didn't get rid of all the idolatries. He may have eliminated the worship of Baal for a time, but the worship of the golden calves continued. Chapter 11 shifts south to Judah and sets up the story of the reform of Judah that will take place tomorrow in chapter 12 through the reign of Joash. Adaliah, Ahaziah's mother, when she hears of her son's death, creates a purge of her own and assumes power for six years in Judah. Jehoshaphat, however, rescues one of Ahaziah's sons, Joash, from his grandmother and hides him in the temple. After a few years, when it's time, Jehoiada, the priest— makes the young Joash king, and successfully leads a coup against Queen Adalia. Because this revolution in Judah is led by a priest, it also has the marks of not just a political, but a religious renewal. These violent texts for today remind me a bit of the dilemma Bonhoeffer found himself in when he wrote his Ethics and Cost of Discipleship. Bonhoeffer was a committed peacemaker and pacifist, but He found himself at a time when the German church had failed to stand with the Jewish people and against the violent fascism of the Nazis. He struggled to imagine how renewal could take place within his nation without a violent overthrow of Hitler. On the one hand, these texts celebrate the possibility of a renewed life of faith for both Israel and Judah, but on the other hand, they seem to recognize that changes made through violence are often short-lived, And they continue patterns of brokenness in the world that more often than not end up rebounding on those that use them. In other words, to live by the sword usually means that one eventually also dies by the sword. These aren't pleasant texts, but still read them carefully, looking for insights and truths you've never seen before. Journal your thoughts, prayers, and questions, and maybe take this opportunity to pray for those in our world who live each day as faithful followers of Christ they live under oppressive regimes that constantly threaten them with persecution and oppression. Our readings for tomorrow are 2 Kings chapters 12 through 14. I'll talk to you tomorrow.